Welcome back to a brand new episode of Demand Gen Chat. I'm your host, Tara Robertson, and I have a fun guest for you today, Tim Davidson from Directive. Tim is the Senior Director of Digital Marketing at Directive, and you've probably also seen some of his fun videos on LinkedIn or maybe TikTok if you're following him there. So Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Super excited. Awesome. Me too. Yeah, it's always fun to talk to someone who not only knows their stuff when it comes to marketing, but knows how to make it entertaining, which I think people are trying to do a lot more in B2B, but it's kind of an uphill battle sometimes. I'm curious to hear from you. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, even in just like probably the last six months, there's been a big change in like edutainment. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like for a long time, at least from my perspective, edutainment kind of got a bad rap. Like people would say, oh, I want to actually learn something. I don't want to be like edutained. I want to like get into the nitty gritty of things. That's really interesting. Yeah, the, the, exactly. The shift. And like now people want edut- edutainment or they don't like say they want it, but they want it. You can tell. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's social media. So it makes sense that they want to have yeah. some fun and not just learn. Um, so you've been at Directive for almost three years now. I'm curious just how your role has evolved, what you originally came in to do there and what you're focusing on now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually, I come from the B2C side. I, at one point, that was going to be the law, law firm, HVAC, marketing king of the world. Um, that switchly, that quickly changed um, into B2B. But I came in actually as uh, for the client side. So working with clients on basically anything with paid media, mostly Google ads, LinkedIn, things like that. Um, as I started in though, I was 80% of my time was on the client side, 20% uh, internal. And I quickly liked the internal side of it where I was just working with sales all the time. And it's just a different dynamic than being on the client side. So over the last, the first two years, it, it's slowly changed from 40%, 60%. 70 30 and then now i'm full-time all this year i've been uh, just full-time internal um and now the director of marketing and what that means it's mostly still paid media um but also brand and however you want to define that but <laughs> I, I handle like all the social media I try to make a lot more content um my sh- priorities have definitely evolved um which i like i like the evolution of things like that yeah it sounds like you like to have your hands in a lot of things, which I'm kind of that kind of marketer too. Um, but yeah. I'm curious, I know a lot of the content you're making, it looks like it's just you, at least the way that you're presenting it, but is there a team that you're working with internally on all of that? Or is it really just kind of a one-man show? Yeah. So my content, it's just me. And and I go pretty far as to make it just me because I'm very, uh, sub- I'm very, I'm very embarrassed. Like I won't even film in front of my wife. Like I'm very embarrassed in that way. So some of the skits I'll try to do as much as I possible, where it's just me mm-hmm. or I'm the second person. Uh, some of the more like directive content, I will use uh, a team, like a video production or a freelancer or something like that, to help with that production side of it. Uh, but all my videos, it's all through the video or through my phone. Uh, I'm editing and all that. I have use freelancers for like subtitles and things like that. I'm trying to evolve my uh, team, I guess you can say, like personal brand team, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mostly me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I definitely feel you on the 
I don't want to say embarrassment, but it's almost like you feel kind of cringy posting your own or making your own content sometimes where if I'm watching someone else's, like when I watch yours, I don't feel that cringe at all. But when I go to hit publish on my own, it's such a hurdle to get over. Um, Do you have any advice for people that are kind of new to the, I guess, creator, like influencer space on just kind of getting over that and making it happen? Yeah, just do it. Uh, sounds really, but yeah, like you, like you said, you might cringe at your content, but you won't cringe at other, like you don't even think twice about the others. Mm-hmm. Everyone, no one thinks twice. You put something out there and they might be like, Oh, that's an okay video, but they're never going to remember. So as you, but as you keep doing it, you'll get better at it and you'll get comfortable with it. So that's why my advice is always just start and mm-hmm. to be more like specific put out like five to 10 videos like on LinkedIn on any platform you are and you'll get the feedback. If it's on LinkedIn, I'm pretty positive. The feedback. If you don't get any feedback or it's going to be positive feedback from people that you even know, and they're not going to give you bad feedback anyway, unless you make something controversial, obviously. Yeah. And I feel like it's funny because obviously the controversial or the like contrarian posts on LinkedIn tend to do the best because they're just, more interesting than someone who's kind of like medium agrees with everything. Um, but do you ever post anything where you're thinking after like, Ooh, that was maybe too far or maybe I should have held back a little bit on that one. Many a time, a lot of times when I post something about, um, the B2B buying process or like marketing and, or basically like marketing sales, essentially. Mm. I posted a lot about the BDB buying process and I would probably say I've had one post where half the comments were like from people in sales or people at different organizations that have that process that were not happy with me. And it's funny how just the the bad comments, I just get obsessed with those. But outside of that, for the most part, even salespeople are saying, yeah, this is actually the great, this is how we should be doing it, but we're not doing it because of X, Y, and Z. So it's been interesting to see that. Um, I also say, but like you said, the ones that where I do get half not happy with it and half happy with it, you get a lot of views. You get a lot of engagement. Um, you get you learn a lot too. It's the comments are very interesting. You learn their perspectives, and you can learn from that as well. It's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's tough because a lot of the time people that maybe they agree with it, but their boss doesn't, so they're nervous to posts like, Hey, I love this. I wish we could follow this process. Cause it's LinkedIn, right? So you're connected with your boss oh, yeah. and your boss's boss. So often I feel like that that was me. I would just not comment at all, but I guess some people just like to, they like to have the negative <laughs> comments on every channel. Yeah, it depends. Uh, I feel comfortable enough where I, I could say something that is, goes against what, you know, my organization says, but I also, I'm not, not in a bad way, though. I always, if I do do it, it's in a funny way um, mm-hmm. because we have a good trust. So we, we have a good feedback loop together. I've also gotten DMs from people that said, I agree with the, what you're talking about. I've tried that and I got uh, written up for it. Obviously, they didn't want to put that on LinkedIn, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, so to your point, they didn't want to put that out there because someone could see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people just say, you know, this is the way it should be. And they just want to make sure they they're not they don't want their team to maybe see it or maybe they do maybe that is the reason they're commenting 
Yeah, I guess sometimes you can just post hoping that your network sees it <laughs> or comment hoping that exactly. someone sees it and thinks like, hmm, that's a different way to look at this process. Um, yeah. You mentioned obviously like comments, DMs, but what are the main metrics that you're looking at every, either every day, every week for both your own platforms? And then I'm assuming you look at directives numbers as well. Yeah. So for me, I really, it's probably... Uh, I look at a lot of things because I do, <laughs> I do look at engagement impressions and follower and count. Like that does stuff does matter because it, it does, it is an indicator that things are working well, especially like on specific content, you can see those metrics and you can see what, where you get more engagement and the, mm -hmm. the comments and that guides what you want to make more content about. Uh, for me to put the time and investment and I, I spend money on it too, that the DMS I get that are like, I wanted to make a video because of this, or I like your video on this. And they ask follow-up questions about that. That stuff I love, right? And that, that stuff's, it does make me feel good, but also mm -hmm. I know it's helping people. And I know I've been in the business world long enough where I know that stuff does correlate to some sort of ROI, whether it's feeling good about it or money or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That is all going to track back. There's also stuff where I can look at, you know, clients that we've had or people that mention it or customers, they mention my content. I can look at that stuff. I don't, I'm not really worried about that. That stuff's great. It's great to say I'm going in the right direction, but it's more about the stuff, like the comments, the engagement, the things you see from people that, and the friends you make. Uh, I think that stuff is more, that's the stuff I more look at more. Mm. I like that metric, new friends. <laughs> That's fun metric to have. Yeah, well, yeah I like that. Here's an, uh, this one sounds weird, I guess. I don't go to a lot of events. I'm trying to, but I went mm -hmm. to one of them. It was a small event and three people came up to me saying they've seen my content that I've never talked to before. That, that was the solidification that like, yeah. I made friends because of that. It was, that was just like, all right, I why not keep going? There's no reason not to. Yeah. And to your point, like maybe those people didn't feel comfortable commenting for whatever reason on your videos, but they remembered you enough to come up and say hi and introduce themselves. So that's something for sure. Even yeah. if you can't say you got 10 comments on this video and it led to this revenue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice for, I feel like a lot of B2B marketers want to do this more fun <laughs> content that we've been talking about, but either their exec team or their head of marketing is just very stuck in, hey, we just have to talk about our product all the time. And we have to talk about the very specific use cases maybe, but not really stray without the lines of that. And how can they kind of push back on that and show, hey, we're never going to hit our goals if we're sticking in this very safe like product marketing message lane. So, I mean, one way you could do it, and I, I personally, my videos, I rarely talk about directive, if ever. Mm -hmm. But I do talk about the things that we would be the reason for or something, right? Or I do talk about things that I see in that our customers would resonate with. What you could do is actually basically test, right? One message that's just talking about the product message, you know, the classic, just talk about it, maybe some animations around it. And it's just like, here's our product, here's what it does, this is why. You could also try a different route. You could do like a TikTok style, a funny style, you can still use the same kind of messaging, but put it in a style that's 
edutainment and test that. But look at the metrics like engagement, people mentioning it. Um, you obviously don't want to look at like direct attribution to it because that's just not how it's going to work. But you can look at the comments, the engagement, people that mention it and say the sales call, a gong, like you can listen to gong or chorus. That's probably the best way to do it. If, if your exec team or your boss is saying, you know, we got to stay down this route because it's just how we've always done it, or this is what has worked, or they think that's how it's worked. They just don't know the other side of it. It's testing them against each other. The other side of it, and if they don't want to listen, I mean, truthfully, sometimes you got to find the organization that's right for you, um, or you got to prove it out. So you can test it and prove it out, or, okay, so this is, I've always, I've tried to live by this, which is, Ask for forgiveness, not permission. So sometimes there is, don't, you know, walk the fine line, but sometimes you can try it out, see how it does. Maybe spend your own money on it. I ran ads where I spend my own money on it to see how the engagement is. And then you could have that data to come back to it. That's sneaky. I like that. So you're using your own money basically to avoid going through like an approval process and just kind of getting it out the door to show those results. Is that... I have in the past. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luckily, I'm, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't really have to do that. Yeah. yeah. But there is like, like one recent thing was something, it was like a, a mention to Blockbuster. That was gonna be a funny thing. I haven't done anything with it, but I've thought about like mm-hmm. that messaging in my own ad to see how it would perform. Yeah. Because they just, you know, we just didn't go down that route. We didn't want to go down the Blockbuster route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, Pretty much every, I mean, especially if you're reporting into a co-founder of a startup the way that we are, they're pretty much always open to testing and getting the data before Mm -hmm. they make a solid decision either way. So I would definitely agree with like, try to test it if you can. Maybe they won't be super sold until they see the numbers. And if you can prove that out, then that's even better. Um, I feel like one other piece I'd love to touch on is obviously you have a lot of extensive background in paid search and paid social even before your time at Directive, but I'm curious if you've noticed anything changing recently with B2B. Obviously, we're not the only ones that are trying out this whole edutainment space, but videos are just huge across all different channels now. Um, So if you've noticed any changes maybe in the past year or two on just kind of what people are spending their budgets on and anything that you think people should maybe be looking at differently. Yeah, there's definitely been a big change in probably the last year, year and a half, two years of obviously, like we mentioned, like edutainment. So mm-hmm. and it even goes back from like markets being measured on leads to pipeline and revenue. So like the what we do in at the beginning has changed. It's less ebooks and Google ads and paid social. It's less gated content uh, and it's more like education. There's been a big shift there. Uh, mm-hmm. and even like the videos, like you mentioned, there's a lot more videos. I think people have under, are starting to understand because of probably TikTok and, and Instagram and, and these other social platforms where you don't need a big production budget. You can mm-hmm. take your phones cause they're really good. They have great cameras. You could take a $45 camera from Amazon and put it on your computer and do a product demo. You can create videos without this big production value, which takes a lot less time and you can make more so you can test more you can make more things based off of what you're seeing so i've seen a big shift there and i think it's working i we test tiktok style videos and ads and i think they work better than 
the high production ones. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting thing to see in, in terms of like, I, I think people should just try it. Your phones are really good cameras. Just try that. You don't need the big production value. I think you'd be interesting. It'd be very interesting to see what, what happens. Yeah. I think there's so much you can do, like you said, with a phone. I mean, the new one just came out. It's even better. I don't have it yet, but my partner does. And it's already like night and day better than mine. And I thought mine was great. It's just like, it's always going to get better. And it's just so convenient. And just the videos people are able to shoot at events now. It's crazy to see the quality that's coming out. Um, You did mention talk kind of moving away from leads and gated content. One of your posts that really stood out to me was you had a video on, it was basically like a marketing team brainstorming new ideas, new campaigns. And then there's the one person in the room that's the, how many leads will we get kind of person. And for me personally, like that was me a couple of years ago. And I, obviously it's kind of cringy to look at it now, but that was me being like, we have to prove ROI. We need the leads. We need the form fills. Um, So I think I've seen the same shift as you where people are trying to move away from that. But at the same time, we're now in this weird space where People want to do more creative things, but maybe their budgets are really tight right now. Their hiring is frozen, so they can't hire, like, again, that video person maybe or the creatives. Um, So I'm curious if you're noticing that with customers that people are now kind of trying to move back to lead gen forms and moving back to gated content or if they're really kind of sticking to their guns and sticking with the more fun, edutainment-y stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah, I... The, the truth is it really depends because there is some industries where demand capture, you could spend a ton of money on demand capture and make a ton of money off of it because mm-hmm. there isn't the Salesforce or HubSpot that's taken over the space of CRM, right? There isn't the, but there's a lot of uh, demand for that, that category. So there is some industries where you could spend tons of money on the demand capture areas and make a bunch back, which is all attributable. So it makes it easier to do that. Right. And then you spend X amount on your brand or demand creation, uh, content and where it's just like edutainment. And then you try to see it over time, what happens where you have less demand in a category we are seeing, we, you know, for a lot of the our clients, we, we are seeing, you know, budgets either be cut or the stay the same. Well, mm-hmm. while their goals increase, which is just craziness. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, it's classic. But then there's also teams are getting smaller. And again, the goals are the same, so it doesn't make any sense. But you, I wouldn't say they're completely going towards like Legion forms or anything like that. I think they are just very ruthless on where they're spending their money. So like you can, you can spend money in demand creation and just find the area like yeah it's not completely attributable but like how did you hear about us feels or looking at those certain engagements people what people are talking about and like i think gong chorus has changed the game too because you could hear what they're talking about in sales calls you'll hear them talk about the podcast you'll hear them talk about this video this person at your company your organic posts so where you can track those back they're just going to keep them running but things that like like maybe it's, I'm just using an example. It's not a real example. Reddit that you have no idea is even working. You're spending X amount of dollars on it. At these times, you're just going to cut that because you just don't know what's going on. And you're spending, you're just spread thin because your team's smaller now anyway. Yeah. I think Reddit's funny because we've been talking about that internally this month of like, why aren't we doing anything on Reddit? Um, but again, it's one of those channels where 
we're on so many channels already with paid and it's is now the time to try something new that doesn't have direct attribution we don't know for sure if it'll work so yeah it's a, it's a tricky one i like your idea of if it doesn't come up in a gong or chorus call and you're not seeing it in your attribution software then just turn it off like i think that makes a ton of sense right now for marketers who are looking to either maybe their bu- like budget's cut or to your point same budget but much higher goals which auto marketers are used to but it's it's a yeah. tough battle for some of us yeah it's, it's and it's it's more about just squeezing on what's working mm-hmm. and then and then using the extra time and budget on the thing and the the test things the however you want to describe them the things that you think they could be something at some point but you just don't know mm-hmm. when your budgets are lower just there's no reason to do that or, or do a lot of those maybe one not three right yeah, start with one. See if yeah. you can get something out of it. That's, that's fair. Exactly. Um, you mentioned demand capture. So I'm curious, obviously, like pretty much every software company, we have demand capture ads running. But have you seen like a certain ratio that people are trying to stick their budget with of, we know we need to build brand affinity top of funnel, and we also need the brand capture side. So how should we either be splitting budget or even just time and resources internally? Yeah, I hate, I hate this answer, but it's the truthful answer ever for everything uh it depends on you know how much demand there is right there's some things mm-hmm. like if you are only a crm software for fintech people don't search that mm-hmm. right rarely you can do things around it. you can do like upload lists or something like that but people don't search that so you have to you you can't spend all your money on you shouldn't spend all your money on the keywords or CRM software. It just doesn't make sense. So when you're capturing those kind of things, it doesn't make sense to spend a ton of money there. So you want to spend more on the creation and paid social and things that are going to make, create the demand. So the truthful answer is it depends. (laughs) But I would probably say at a, let's just say you do have, there's a lot of demand for the category. I think a good rule of thumb is probably like 70, 30, like 30%, like if it's working, obviously, right? Like if, if the demand mm-hmm. is working, capture it, hit your goals, and then you can raise the budget and then spend more there, but also leave enough, like th- let's say 30% to create more demand for it to capture. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think. I feel like people are always hesitant, at least I am too, to say it depends. But if you had just said, oh, it's always 70-30, then I feel like I don't know if I'd believe you. (laughs) It's good to go into it with, yeah, you need a grain of salt with every kind of marketing advice like that, right? Right. Yeah. Um, You brought up the B2B buying experience as kind of like a controversial-ish topic that you posted about. But I'm curious, you've worked with so many different companies now. Um, Why do you think so many B2B companies are stuck in that old model of, fill out a form, wait for someone to call you, hope that they'll, you'll pass their quiz of qualification and then move on to actually see the product. They haven't evolved. And, and a lot of times I'll probably say it's just how it's been working and how it's been done mm-hmm. because they just haven't evolved. Uh, it, it makes the, the current process where it's like, you know, just fill out the demo. We're going to wait for 24 or 48 hours and we'll reach out. You have an SDR call or BDR, whatever you want to call it, and they qualify you. Then you go to an AE and then maybe a sales engineer. That worked when 
marketers were measured on leads because there'd just be tons of volume. You can't give them all the AEs. And the, so the quality was also a lot lower. So it actually made sense to do the qualification. It also made more sense when you didn't have technology that can actually route, you know, leads, right? If they say they are the VP of marketing at an enterprise account, don't send them to an SDR. You can figure that out with technology now where you can actually send them to a AE. So it made sense in the past. So people just, a lot of companies just haven't evolved or they have a big SDR team and they have to keep them doing stuff or they don't have AEs or it's just how their comp packages are set up. They just haven't adapted yet or they're still measured on leads. So there is a big influx of companies coming to them. So they have to still have the qualification. Hmm. Sounds like a good problem to have in some ways to have a big influx. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. But, but I, I think, think it's usually it's, like a low barrier for it to yeah. be a lead rate right, in that case. Yeah, but even if you are doing that, the routing is is where because you're gonna you're gonna see your close rates go up if you route the right people instead of making them fall off because they have to take three calls instead of two calls or one call. That right. using that technology is gonna be it's gonna help even if you do have the high volume. Yeah, and when you say they are stuck in the past, do you think it's like, is it the sales org usually, the sales leadership? Is it marketing, both? What have you seen? It, so it can be the sales leaders, but really it comes down to whoever is calling it. So a lot of times it could be the founder, CEO. If they say we're changing it, it'll change. The mm -hmm. sales leader will have to listen, right? So yeah. either it's the sales leader or the CEO that wants to do it or the founder or the CEO and founder is out of it, they wash their hands with it, I'll let you deal with it, and then it's the sales leader or whoever set it up. Yeah, I think it's tricky because you, like you said, if the founder is on board, then it's getting done oh, either yeah. way. <laughs> Even if it doesn't matter who's yeah. on board, it's happening. Um, but I think, at least from what I've seen, to your point earlier, it worked for Salesforce, it worked for a lot of these big companies way back when. and. Some people just want to still follow that playbook because, hey, it worked when this AE was at Salesforce, so let's stick with what we know and what works. And who cares if it's not the greatest experience for the customer? We just want to follow this playbook that we know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. If you're Salesforce or HubSpot, and, and I, don't, I don't know what HubSpot's uh, process is now anymore or Salesforce, but if you're those mm -hmm. companies that are very well known, you can probably do that because a lot of people... Most companies have Salesforce or HubSpot or both. So you could probably do that and get away with it. But the companies that are trying to innovate don't have that brand affinity. You need to change it up. Or if you are doing it, it maybe it is still working, but you just don't know what the upside is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't know how much better it could be yeah. if you're only passing through the qualified. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Cool. Um, is there anything else you've noticed obviously switching from kind of working with customers, helping them hit your their goals to now having your own goals, goals internally at Directive, um, just being on the other side of things. Has anything just been standing out to you, whether on social or just what you're hearing from people? Yeah, so I won't go back to the client side first. <laughs> it's the first thing that to mention. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the internal marketing part of it way better because mm -hmm. I am able to work with sales. I am able to work with product. I am able to work with a team 
and I don't have to be siloed into the one thing that I know, right? So when I was on the client side, it was very hard to talk to salespeople because they just thought we were the agency that was helping out the marketing team. Mm-hmm. A lot of times also, I did find a lot of clients had their marketing and sales team did not get along because it it could have been many different things, but it could be like, they don't like their leads or, you know, it's the classic, like, oh, marketing leads are crap and sales doesn't know how to close. And, you know, we're fighting for your budget from the CEO or we're both reporting to the CEO and we're not even working together on that because we have different goals. I found it very hard to do your job if you couldn't talk to sales. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of something I didn't like. There's a way to work around it and try, but like, it was like, it was really, really hard to talk to anyone on sales because they just didn't want to talk to you. So the relationship was already kind of yeah. burned before you could yeah. get in there and yeah, and fix it. Um, yeah. Do you think that's unique to directives that you're working so cross-functionally or do you think that's just something that is more of an agency style of working and that's what you like? Um, I think, no, I think there's a lot of teams out there where it's, they call themselves the revenue team or the growth team. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of alignment. I, I think a lot of people, there's been a lot of people that have mentioned they, they have great, you know, marketing sales alignment. I think it's getting a lot better over the, you know, the last couple of years. So I think you do see the evolution of that um, because it probably does stem down to marketing being measured on revenue and you need sales to close that, right? There's mm-hmm. no way, a way around it. Um, it probably also starts with the CEO they, or the founder. Again, they will, uh, if they want your team to work together, they will force it. Mm-hmm. it comes down, if they don't want to, if they don't care about it and they want to measure you on different things, then they won't force it and you're going to have that disalignment yeah you'll be fighting every quarter if someone's not hitting numbers yeah it'll be someone else's fault for sure and when things are going well everything's fine if everyone's setting their numbers it's fine but when things Mm -hmm. don't go well you have budgets getting cut market's weird that's when tensions start getting weird yeah i'm curious if we'll see more teams either reporting to kind of one cro and having marketing and sales ladder up to the same person just because to your point like times are pretty tough right now they're getting tougher so I'm curious if that'll change either the structure or hopefully shifting more marketing teams to be working just more down funnel yeah you'd you'd think so you would think so I'm I'm hoping so (laughs) but we'll see um sometimes it's hard to make that shift depending on how big you are on the Mm -hmm. levels you have to go through sometimes it can be hard for sure. Do you have any other advice for, I know we talked a lot about like content creation type of thing on the influencer side. Do you have any advice for marketers that are looking to, again, moving away from lead capture, just spending all their budget on demand capture, and they know they need to grow their market. How can they kind of make that case to their head of marketing? They have goals like this month that they're supposed to be hitting, but they're trying to shift that mindset at the same time. Yeah. So if you have goals this month, it's going to be <laughs> tough, um, depending on your sales cycle. Uh, if you have, you know, maybe you have goals that you have to hit for the quarter, right? What you could do is like split it is like, I want to, you know, half my budget is going to be in this kind of format 
where it's mostly demand capture and then half of it's going to be on like demand creation. Mm-hmm. And then you can f- see, you know, what those close rates look like, the pipeline, the, the leading metrics look like, and just see how that changes over time. Because it's a, it's a long, it's a longer process. You, you can't just look at it in a, a month, two months. You have to look at it over three, six months because sometimes, you know, it's going to take three months for that to get in the groove of the demand creation of figuring out what's working, what's not. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like uh, making the case, like I want to spend X amount of budget, let's just say 20% and seeing, and then you can show over time, like what that looks like. Uh, if you have to hit it within your month, if you have to hit your goals within a month and your, let's say your sales cycle is less than a month, mm-hmm. you need to look at like low hanging fruit, like closed loss accounts. Um, there's a software out there called user gems. Uh, their whole premise is like, people that have, you know, past customers and they were moved on to new uh, companies, like finding those people and doing it, you can to like make the case. Uh, if you have hit something within a month, you got to look for the low hanging fruit there. Mm, so look for that low hanging fruit while you're starting to think of ideas and ramp up maybe the brand yeah. creation side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like and if, if you're hitting your goals, it's a lot easier to make the case to spend more on the demand creation. Uh, mm-hmm. So like you can optimize, you know, your demand capture and even spend less and hit, hit the same goals. Cause a lot of times there's going to be waste in whatever platform you're using anyway. If you can find that waste and spend it on demand creation, make the case that way. If you're just spending the same amount of budget, your head of marketing is not going to hit, get, get on you if you're hitting your goals. <laughs> And when you say identifying that waste, is that, are you talking paid search or is there a specific channel where you see that happen a lot? Oh, it's every channel. Um, but yeah, you know, paid search, it could be keywords. It could be, you're not using, you know, like a offline conversion tracking. So you're tracking, you know, the keyword level or search term level to, uh, mm-hmm. actual pipeline revenue, like sort of Salesforce data or HubSpot data, any CRM data or, you know, paid social. I've looked at a lot of accounts. A lot of people are not targeting the right things. The targeting is just really bad or the creative is really bad or it's not changed out ever or, you know, narrowing down on what's actually working. Because if you go into a, a lot of LinkedIn ads or anything like that, or in, and then you look in your CRM, you're going to find certain industries, certain places where you 80%, 90% of your revenue is coming from. Narrow down on those. Stop spending as much on the 10% that has not doing much. And then spend that on the demand creation. So it's pretty much any platform. It's just finding that those areas where you're you're just spending waste. Mm. And is that what you look at first? Like, say, I know you're not on the client side anymore, but when you were looking at clients' accounts for the first time, were you just looking to find the waste first so that you could decide, okay, we're wasting 10% of budget, we can reinvest this elsewhere? Or what would be that first step when you're looking at a new client's accounts? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, so I think that is, is probably either the, the basic stuff. So whether, if it's like paid search, just making sure they're using the right match types and they're uh, using like offline conversion tracking, having, having all the fundamentals set up, right. And mm-hmm. most did not have them set up. So it's like low hanging fruit there, but then it's finding like where you're wasting money because then you can reinvest it whether it's back into the channel because you're not spending appropriately in these areas or it's a new channel. That's always the easiest way is finding the waste and mm-hmm. spending it in a new channel to prove that out. And then you can keep going from there. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Reinvest the money that you were spending anyway, instead of asking for more money that you're just going to possibly waste on the wrong targeting or wrong keyword. Yeah, easier. Yeah, it's easier to make the case to say, hey, I saved us 10% of the budget. It's usually a lot more than 10%, so it, it makes it a lot easier. Nice. What range were you seeing when you were working with customers of like, that was that low hanging fruit of like, we should just pause this right now or stop spending? It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's a lot. Some of it was 50%, 60%. Wow. I mean, some, and it's not, it's not really the, the company's fault. A lot of times it was just, that's not their expertise. You, you have a mm-hmm. marketing manager or marketing director who's trying to do everything. Right. And that's, that's a problem. You're spread thin. They're, that's not their expertise. It's something they're managing, they're handling, but mm-hmm. it's just, not, they're also trying to do events. They're trying to do all these other things and they don't have the time. And that's why they hire an agency. That's why they do, they look for something because they don't have the expertise in house because they're trying to do too many things. Or if they do have the expertise, mm-hmm. they're just spread thin. Yeah. I think it's tough when, I mean, almost every team I've been on has felt spread thin, even if we're hiring, even if we have 20 people, there's just, there's new, there's always new channels. There's an event we want to sponsor. It's, it's constant, right? So oh yeah, yeah, it's good advice to have some outside eyes and outside perspective on your accounts. Great. Your events well, have been crazy. Just so you know. Sorry, our events? Your Chili Piper events. I haven't been to them, but I'm noticing this party theme in LinkedIn. It's uh, you, it's very interesting. Yeah, it trickles down from our founders. I think they like to party, so it helps. Um, yeah, I haven't yeah. been either, but yeah, and maybe next event season I'll be at a few. We've been trying to, what I've been actually thinking about because I manage our paid accounts is how can we amplify some of that fun content that they've been creating on the ground and Again, I'm just one person, so it's tough to block my week to do that kind of thing. But there's so much low-hanging fruit there of just really cool videos they're creating and stuff on the floor. Oh, I bet. You guys have some really interesting content there. I've seen Arthur's mm-hmm. stuff. Like, you probably have so much you could do there. <laughs> Did you see his Red Hot Chili Piper thing? Mm-hmm. At the? Yeah, that was my favorite. Oh, yeah. We were all laughing about that this morning. Yeah, I have to do something with that. I need to figure it out. But Did you? You there. didn't. You didn't hire Red Chat had Red Hot Chili Peppers. Dreamforce did that, right? Or did you? Do yeah, that? so Dreamforce just happened to pick oh, them yeah. this year as the. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. that's out of our budget. That would be our entire <laughs> budget, probably. Um, but we had to jump on it because it's just too perfect. Oh yeah. The one no, year we perfect. haven't been to Dreamforce really before, so it was great timing for us. <laughs> that's perfect. Cool. Um, well, I'd love to move on to just our quick fire round. So, a couple of quick questions for you that we can get through so is there any other marketer that you follow that our listeners should go follow or read their content yeah so there's always the classics like your dave gerhardt's uh, i think one that i really like he doesn't post as much as he used to is gaetano denardi seo background vp of growth at or at one point um but he's got really good i like his takes on, on things he's really good really interesting Nice. We'll put his link in the show notes. People can go follow him and check him out. And is there an under the radar channel or could be a tactic that you're checking out or that your team is really investigating right now? I think I'm trying to figure out TikTok. Organic, yes, but also the paid side. The targeting is not that good, but there is ways that I'm looking at it right now. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. 
Mm-hmm. But again, the content really matters. So, you know, just creating TikTok style content, edutainment, and then the advertising part. Um, but TikTok, I think, is going to be a really interesting one for B2B. Nice. Yeah, I'd love to see if you find out anything on the targeting side, <laughs> please post about it because we're yeah, yeah. starting to dip our toes. But I'm, it makes me so nervous. The targeting options are just so broad and I don't trust it yet. So I'm hesitant. There. Yeah, they are. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out too. <laughs> cool. And lastly, where can we go to follow you? I know you're obviously on TikTok and LinkedIn too, right? Yep. LinkedIn and TikTok are the biggest. Um, I'm on the other ones too, but really LinkedIn and TikTok are best places to find me. Great. Thanks so much, Tim, for joining me today. Thank you. This is awesome. Great. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode.